0: Welcome to Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willette.
1: Amen, amen. What a good testimony. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand. He is so faithful. He is so, so, so good. And we have so many people in our church have testimonies like that where... God just shows up, and they were just faithful to the Lord, and he's faithful to us. Amen? So, man, what an amazing morning. Um, Just had an awesome uh, morning in worship, and I just feel like the joy of the Lord in this place. And he wants to do something special in your heart. And I just had on my heart to just uh, share a couple things with you. But how many understand that in Christ, you are 100% loved right now? In Christ, you are 100% loved. In Christ, you are 100% righteous right now. In Christ. In Christ, you are already 100% justified. There's nothing you have to do to become justified. He has justified you through Jesus Christ already, amen? In Christ, you are 100% worthy to receive all of God's blessings. You're worthy. You don't have to work to receive the blessing, amen? You are worthy to receive God's blessings in Christ right now. Amen? And I just want to declare to you that in this next year that the blessings of God are about to overtake you. The blessings of God are about to overtake you. So get ready. Get ready for some blessing this year. You are in Christ, and in the body of Christ, God has put something uniquely in you that no one else has. Amen? You have something inside of you that God's put in there that no one else has, and he wants you to release it into the world. So I just want to say some babies are going to be born in 2019, and not just your baby, Leslie. (laughs) Some babies are going to be born this year, amen, because we are in Christ. You are important. I just feel like God wanted you to know that this morning. You are important, and what you have is important. So I want to speak to you this morning about living a life of compassion, living a life of compassion. I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to be reading in the NASB, and you could just leave Matthew chapter 9 open if you have your Bibles or if you have your iPhones, digital versions, Androids, iPads. Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to start in verse 9. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Are we there? (laughs) Amen. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. I wish my kids would listen to me like that. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, is it, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray for your anointing in this place this morning on these words. God, I just pray that this message would just exude grace into this place. I just pray for grace, grace, grace on my words this morning. God, that you are just imparting grace to us this morning. God, that you are just imparting joy to us. You are imparting that spirit of compassion on us this morning so that we can pour it out to others. And Holy Spirit, have your way today in Jesus' name. And let's just do this. Sometimes we like to do this. Just put your hand on your heart this morning. Just say, Holy Spirit, if it's you, I want it. Speak to me today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is just a really interesting passage, and it's almost kind of of funny to me because tax collectors were considered traitors by the Jews. That name, tax collector, that was synonymous with liar, cheater, thief, sinner, these were the bad guys. They were collecting, they were Jews who were collecting taxes for the occupying Romans. And, and they would not only, they were working for the, who the Jews considered the bad guys, but they would often extort money over and above what was owed and they would keep what the extra for themselves and they often became very, very wealthy. So these guys were not loved people. This was a, a hated group of people, the tax collectors. So how, how many, remember just growing up and and having to you know do some kind of sport and you have to pick teams right and so you know you you never want to be the last guy picked and I I weighed about 100 pounds and think I think until I was about 17 so I was always that last guy picked so you you never want to be the last guy picked you're like oh nobody wants me but when you're the captain you want to pick the best right you wanna start with the best because you wanna win the game, right? So you're looking for the best basketball player, the best football player, the best baseball player. You want the big guy on your side, right? Because you wanna win. But Jesus does something interesting. He's picking his disciples right now. And he picks the sinner. He picks the guy who's hated. He picks the guy who's considered cheater, thief, to be on his team. Like, I want you on my team, So Jesus picks someone who's regarded by most Jews to be the enemy. This is like, he picks the enemy to be on his side. So now, later in this passage, Jesus is dining with tax collectors and known sinners. He's just like hanging out with them. Just dining with the sinners and dining with the tax collectors. And the Pharisees are offended They're like offended by this. They they it's interesting. They don't go to Jesus. But in this passage, you go to his disciples and they say, Why is your teacher hanging out with the sinners? Why is he doing this? And I love Jesus' response. Jesus' response says, I didn't come for the healthy. I didn't come for the righteous. How many know righteous means right standing with God? Now, growing up, I would hear in the church I went to, and I'm not trying to knock my church. They meant well, and there was a lot of good things, but they would say, you need to get right with God. I'd hear that a lot. And what they meant was you need to stop sinning, and you need to get in church, and you need to ask forgiveness for your sins. And that's not what righteousness is. Righteousness means right standing with God. When you ask Jesus into your heart, you are in right standing with God. You are right with God. When you ask him into your heart, So getting right with God is not about stopping sin and and avoiding sin more and going to church more or avoiding sin, did I say that right? Avoiding sin more and going to church more, okay, yeah. (laughs) But being righteous and, and being right with God is just about knowing Jesus as your savior, period. So the Pharisees are offended at Jesus and the Pharisees go to his disciples and ask why he's hanging out with sinners. Jesus said, I'm come for the sick not the healthy. And Jesus says this, and I love this. He says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. I desire compassion. The Pharisees were big on sacrifice. They were really big on sacrifice, especially self-sacrifice. They were experts in the law. They had many rituals that they would follow. They carried these little flactories, these little boxes with the laws and the passages of Scripture in them. They would have one on their on their head, one on their arm. And they used force to make people follow their interpretation of the law. So they are very black and white. Follow the law, you're in. Don't follow the law, and you're out. We want nothing to do with you. Very black and white. So how many understand in the Old Testament if you touched a leper, you'd become leprous. It's like you didn't want to go near a leper. And they when they'd come into the, the villages and the towns they'd have to say unclean and people would like clear out. They didn't even want to breathe the same air as a leper. So in the Old Testament, if the leper, if you touched a leper, you'd become sick. But in the New Testament, Jesus reached out and he touched the leper and they became well. Amen? So the Pharisees had this mentality of like, we don't want to be near anyone who's a sinner, anyone who's unclean. They're like, why are you hanging out with the sinners, Jesus? Why are you hanging out with those who are unclean? We don't do that. And I want to tell you this morning, being a Christian isn't about following the rules as good as you can and avoiding bad people. That's not what being a Christian is about. Jesus said, I've come for sinners, not the righteous. Jesus said, I desire compassion and not sacrifice And when he said, I've come for sinners, he reveals God's heart, the Father's heart for those who are lost. How many know God loves those who are lost? He is after those who are lost. He wants them to come to repentance, amen? God loves the lost. He leaves the 99 to find the one lost sheep, amen? So Jesus came to reveal the Father. I talked about this a little bit last week in in Growth Track. He came to reveal the Father. And in Hebrews, it says this, Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father. It says he's the exact representation. He didn't say Jesus Christ is, he's, he's a pretty good representation of the Father. Didn't say that, did it? So Jesus Christ is like, he's a lot like the Father, but he's a little nicer. No, it says Jesus Christ in Hebrews is the exact representation of the Father. That's why Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Jesus Christ accurately and 100% perfectly shows us the Father and he came to reveal the Father. How many understand the Old Testament never accurately represented the Father? It did not accurately represent the Father. Why? Sin was in the way. Law was in the way. The best representation we have of the Father in the Old Testament is the garden. When he walked with Adam and Eve, and he talked with them, and he had direct connection with them, relationship with them. After that, we don't see an accurate representation of the Father until Jesus. Jesus comes and shows us a perfect representation of the Father. How many understand the law doesn't reveal the Father's heart for his people? The law says don't commit adultery, but it doesn't tell you to love your wife. The law says don't steal, but it doesn't tell you to give to the poor. It doesn't accurately reflect the fullness of God's heart and the fact that he is a father, the fact that he is mercy, he is compassion, he is grace. So Jesus came to reveal the father of mercy. He came to reveal a God of compassion, a God of love. Jesus Christ is perfect theology, and he's the exact representation of the Father. So then the disciples of John come to him asking, why do, why do we and the Pharisees fast? This is Matthew 9, verse 14. It says, the disciples of John came to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, I want to tell you this morning if you're fasting just to check a box and to demonstrate sacrifice, it's of no value. Fasting is not about depriving yourself and showing God, look, God, look how deprived I am right now. And oh, God, I'm really hungry. I'm really depriving myself. How many understand deprivation is not pleasing to God? This is not why you fast, to deprive yourself. Fasting is because I want to know God more. I'm getting something out of the way so that I can be closer to God, so that I can hear his voice louder. It's not about depriving yourself. Amen? When we fast because we want breakthrough in our life or we just want to know God more, God honors our fasting. Fasting is for deepening our relationship with the Father, not for deprivation. God is not pleased with deprivation. God is not pleased with self-punishment. So in verse 15, Matthew 9, 15, Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn. This is his answer. They say, why don't your disciples fast? He says, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. So in other words, fasting is to get close to Jesus, amen? He's like, I'm with them right now. They're as close to me as they can get right now. But there's gonna be a day when I'm taken away from them. Then they will fast. Why? To prove deprivation, to prove how self-sacrificial they are? No, because they wanna draw close to him again. Amen? So Jesus says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. The Pharisees' way was this this idea of self-punishment, this way of following the law, this way of separating yourself from the unclean. And Jesus shows us that he had compassion for those who were considered unclean, for the sinners. He has compassion. He's actually going after them, loving on them. So let's drop down Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We're going to read 35 and 36. So it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, verse 36, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus saw the people, and I want to focus on this this morning. We're talking about living a life of compassion. Jesus saw the people, and he was moved with compassion. Some translations say exactly that. Said so Jesus was moved with compassion. In other words, because of the emotion of compassion was there, he was moved to do something about it. He felt compassion for the people. How many have ever heard someone say, "Don't be led by your emotions"? And I understand that. You know, when when people say that, I, what they mean, I think most of the time is. Don't be led in anger. Don't be led in fear. Don't be led by anxiety. And I completely agree with that. But Jesus was led by an emotion. Amen? He was led by compassion. We actually want to be led by the emotions that come from God. Compassion is an emotion. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy is an emotion. We want to be led by joy. I want to be led by joy. I want to be led in compassion, amen? These are emotions that are from heaven. It's okay to be led by your emotions, amen? It's okay to be led by your emotions. There's a a neat story in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. I love reading the stories of David. He's just one of my favorite people to read about. So I read 1 and 2 Samuel at least once a year. And there's an interesting story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and it's the ark has been taken uh, by the Philistines, and they realized that it was a really bad idea because every city they take it to, everybody starts getting uh, tumors, and, and each city, they're like, well, get it out of the city, put it in another city, and that city, the sickness would be even worse. So finally, they're like, get this thing out of here. Give it back to the Hebrews. We don't want it. So finally, they're bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. And this is like a party. This is a parade where they're bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. It's a huge procession. And the king of the all of Israel, David, he is leading the procession. And the Bible says he dances with all his might, with exuberant joy. He's just like, everything he has, he's dancing. Now, I'm not a dancer. And even if I were, if I just danced up here with all my might, it would probably look pretty stupid, right? But David, he's like, doesn't care. He's like, So excited. This represents bringing the presence of God back into the city of David, back into Jerusalem. And he's just dancing with all his might. And he's actually leading his nation and showing them how to rejoice in the Lord. I'm just gonna dance before the Lord with all my might. What would it look like if you were just carried away by the emotion of joy? Just carried away by that compassion of the Lord, but carried away and just dancing with all your might. So the interesting end of this story is David's dancing with all of his might and they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David, which is ancient Jerusalem. And his wife, Michael, which is Saul's daughter, sees him just doing this ex- ex- exuberant dance, right? And the Bible says, Michael, when she saw him, she despised him. She despised this display of joy. She despised that the king of the nation was just letting it all go and just dancing with all of his might. And the Bible says that because she despised this expression of joy, that she was fruitless from that day forward. She had no children. And the metaphor for us is when we despise joy, when we despise the expression of joy, when we despise that exuberant worship, we'll become fruitless in our life. It's okay to be led in joy. You know, in Awaken Life Church, we're going after the more of God, and it might look funny. But if it's God, I want it. If it's God, I want it. Amen. Even even this morning, it's like in worship when we were singing "All Hail King Jesus," there was this feeling of like the King is in the room. Bow before the King, and I even have that thought in my mind like, oh God, I don't want to, I don't want to bow and like people think I'm trying to be. You know, I just had that thought for a second. I was like, wait a minute. I have the fear of the Lord. The king is in the room. Wow. So if it's God, I want it, no matter what it looks like. Amen? And it might look funny. We're going to do some fire tunnels. We're going to do a lot of amazing things in this place. And it might look funny. And we need to get over our fear of what is this going to look like? we got to get to that place where it's like, God, I want you more than I care about what I look like. I want you. Some of you in worship might feel like, oh, man, I want to dance, but I don't want to make a spectacle of myself. Dance. Get out of the aisle. Come up front. Dance and worship. It's okay. It's okay to be led in joy. It's okay to be led by compassion. Amen. Where are we? Or somewhere yeah okay right here Michael despised David she despised the expression of the Holy Spirit and because of it she became fruitless so let's not be led by our negative emotions I agree with that let's not be led by fear Let's not be led by anxiety and stress, but let's be led by the Holy Spirit. Let's be led by joy. Let's be led by compassion. And we're talking about living a life of compassion today. Amen. And what did I do? Put the wrong page up. Here we go. A number of years ago, the Lord showed me this, that compassion is the opposite of judgment. Compassion is the opposite of judgment. So I'm going to understand if you, if you live on planet Earth, offenses are going to come. You're going to have, and I'm sure everybody's like, I already know that. You don't have to tell me that. I'm sure we've, we've all had offenses come. And when offense comes, we have a choice of how we can respond to that. When offense comes, we can respond with judgment. How dare you? How dare you talk to me like that? How dare you do that? That's wrong. We can respond with judgment, you're wrong. But the opposite of judgment is actually compassion. When that offense comes, you're like, oh wow, that hurt. But instead of judging this person, I'm actually gonna choose compassion. How many have heard hurting people hurt people? Actually to have the compassion, oh wow, for them to do that, for them to say that, they're going through some stuff. I choose compassion instead of judgment. When you judge someone, it instantly puts a barrier between you and them. It instantly puts a barrier between the, you and them, and this is what the Lord showed me. And you cannot see them how God sees them. The second you judge them, you cannot see them how God sees them. Jesus was the, with the worst of the worst, and he wasn't there judging them. He was showing compassion. He said, I desire compassion. I desire compassion. And he was, why were they there? They didn't have to choose to be with Jesus. They wanted to be around him. They felt loved. They felt embraced. They were like, I want to be here with Jesus. He's not judging us like the Pharisees. He's actually choosing to be with us, choosing to love on us, choosing to show us compassion. So judgment is the opposite of compassion. And when you judge someone, it instantly puts a barrier between you and them, and you can't see them how God sees them. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, I don't want a thought in my mind that's not a thought in God's mind for me. You could also say, I don't want a thought in my mind that's not a thought in God's mind for you. I want to see you how God sees you. And if I judge you, I I stop seeing you how God sees you because he sees you with eyes of compassion. I I love the story of, of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector. He was, so he was like not just the bad guy. He was like in charge of a bunch of bad guys. He was the chief tax collector. He was very rich and, and probably very hated by Jewish people. So I want to read this. Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Here, I'll give you a second. I hear pages turning. Let me give you a minute. I'm usually good at that, giving people time. Luke chapter 19. I'm actually reading this, this part out of the NIV, but it doesn't matter. Luke chapter 19. Okay, we there? We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, "Zacchaeus, come down immediately; I must stay at your house today." So Jesus came, or so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to say, "He has gone to be the guest of a sinner." But Zacchaeus, verse 8, stood up and said to the Lord, Look, listen to this response he has to Jesus. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So imagine this This. Scenario: Jesus, by this time, he's like a celebrity. He's probably the biggest celebrity in all of Israel. So each town he goes to, he's mobbed. There's crowds everywhere he goes. So he's coming into the city, and there's a crowd. There's a crowd waiting for him to come into the city. Everybody would love for Jesus to say, hey, I want to come to your house. Everybody would love for, from, to get something from Jesus. And Jesus looks at the worst of the worst, the chief tax collector, and says, I'm going to your house. And everybody's like, why, why would he choose to hang out with that guy? And I love that Zacchaeus' response. He's like, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give four times back. Did Jesus condemn him? Did Jesus judge him one time? No, he said, I'm going to your house. I want to be with you. I'm choosing you out of everyone else to come and spend some time with today. And his response to compassion, his response to grace, his response to loving kindness is like repentance. It's like, what I've been doing is wrong and I don't want to do it anymore. It's God's repentance or it's God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not God's judgment that leads us to repentance, it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance, amen? I think one of the most powerful stories in all of the Bible is the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. And you know the story. She's thrown before Jesus and by the Pharisees and they're all thinking, she's gonna get it. She's guilty. We caught her, she's guilty. They say, Jesus, what do you say? He says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says, from the oldest to the youngest, they all scatter. See, Jesus didn't condemn her. Jesus drove away the condemners. Jesus had compassion on someone who legally, by the letter of the law, should have been stoned right then and there. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm bringing something different. Last year, that would have worked. This now, this isn't going to work. I'm bringing something different. Amen? Jesus shows her compassion, and she's forever marked. Her life is marked by that moment of Jesus showing her compassion and not excusing her sin, but empowering her to go and sin no more. Amen? Everyone saw that woman with eyes of judgment, but Jesus looked with eyes of compassion And her life was just marked because she got to experience the love and the compassion of the Savior. I want to live a life of compassion, moved by the compassion of Christ. People who are struggling don't need religious judgment. They need the love and compassion of Christ, and it's the only thing that can help them. Judgment can't help them. Judgment will only drive them from far away from you. They need the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. I want to live a life of seeing people with eyes of compassion like Jesus did. Now, being led by compassion doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries. Being led by compassion doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth in love. I'm not going to invite someone who is living a destructive lifestyle to come and live with me and my kids. That's not called compassion. That's called stupid. It's called spirit of stupid. But compassion in that situation is having compassion on them where they're at and offering to help them in a way that doesn't enable them or bring their issue into my life, but offering to help them in a way that helps them get free, helps them find life. The Pharisees' approach was have nothing to do with the unclean, stay far from them. Jesus' approach was have compassion for people, throw them a lifeline to freedom. And by the way, it's their choice to grab the lifeline. All we can do is throw it out. I'm here for you. What's going on? Can I pray for you? You're in my prayers, brother. I love you, what can I do? Can we have lunch? Throw them a lifeline but it's up to them to grab the lifeline. A great question to ask the Holy Spirit is, what does love look like in this situation? What does love look like? What does compassion look like right now in this situation? When the offense comes, we'll all be offended. Holy Spirit, what does compassion look like right now? What does love look like right now? If we're going to reflect Jesus Christ, we have to step out of wanting to judge and wanting to get upset and wanting to be like, you're wrong, and I'm going to righteous anger at you. And we have to step into this place of compassion and be like, okay, that hurt. But what, is this, what does compassion look like right now, Holy Spirit? What does love look like right now? And just forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive you. You're forgiven. You don't have to say that to their face. You're forgiven. I just want you to know. Forgive you. <laughs> what does compassion look like in this situation? That's such a great question to ask the Holy Spirit. Having compassion doesn't mean enabling someone's destructive behavior. Amen? Compassion, compassion is actually telling people the truth in love. The Bible isn't restricting your life. The Bible is the guardrail on your freeway. Amen? The Bible isn't restricting us. It's guiding us to life and away from death. Amen? I used to feel like the Bible was restricting my life. I really did. Like, I don't know if I can do that. That's too restricting. Until I had the revelation of like, oh, wow, this is actually protecting my life. This is leading me to life. This is leading me away from death and to life. This past week, a bill was signed into law in the state of New York that legalizes abortion up until birth in many situations. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, he said, The enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but I've come to bring life and life more abundantly. God is a God of life. Amen. God is not a God of death. This bill is being called progress by many people, but I want to tell you this morning, this is not progress. Progress will be when we as a nation value the sanctity of life from the moment of conception. Amen. Now that being said, How do we respond? How do we respond as a church? How do we respond as individuals? This is the question on so many Christians' minds that some of them are angry. They're like, oh, we need to... How do we respond? Well, the first thing... Is if you've had an abortion or if you know someone who's had one, you need to know that God looks on you with eyes of compassion and not judgment. And there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is redemption for you in Christ. And no one can redeem your situation like Jesus can, He is the Redeemer. He is the redeemer, he's amazing at his job. He's such a good savior, he's such a good redeemer. So that's our first position, is because people don't realize when they're getting angry and they're just like, oh, God's gonna judge and blah, 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 that there's people out there that are so ashamed of what they've done and they're like, they feel so condemned, they feel so dirty. The first response we have to have is, God is a God of compassion. And there's grace for you. There's forgiveness for you. He's not judging you. He has compassion for you in Christ. So we need to respond with compassion and love, especially to those who have had abortions. To other people in the world who disagree with us, we need to respond with love and compassion and not judgment and anger. So number one, how do we respond? We, re- we need to respond with love and compassion. Number two, we need to pray for our nation. Second Chronicles seven fourteen: if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. We need to pray for the healing of our land. Prayer works. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. That's the verse I've been starting with in my prayer time for the past few months because I want to remind myself, my prayers are powerful. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Much. What makes you righteous? Your faith in Christ. If you don't know that, you'll automatically disqualify yourself from that verse. Well, I'm not, I've not been good enough. My prayers don't work. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man what's righteousness mean? Made right with God through faith in Christ avail much. We need to pray. So, number one, we need to respond with love and compassion. Number two, we need to pray for our nation. Number three, we need to prophesy life over our nation. We need to prophesy life over our nation. Don't prophesy judgment and doom on New York. It's the enemy who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Jesus said, I come to bring life, prophesy life over New York. Start praying for New York, start praying for our country. You know, the, the disciples, I love this story. They ask Jesus once. They, Jesus had just empowered them to go and heal the sick. And they came back and they're like, whoa, Jesus, we can cast the demons. They like, sub, they're subject to us. They listen to us. We can heal the sick. This is amazing. They felt super powerful. And then the next thing is they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in heaven. And you, notice Jesus didn't rebuke them. When they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest, he just he just redirected it. He just said, okay, if you want to know who's going to be the greatest, become like a child. Become a servant of all. That's who will be the greatest. So he didn't rebuke them. And so, but they felt powerful. And so they go into a city, and they're rejected in this city. And then they go to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy this city? I mean, first of all, that's amazing because they, they believed they could do it. They felt really powerful. And what does Jesus say? Jesus, they have done, by the way, up to this point, they have done a lot of dumb things. But this is the first time that Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them and says, you don't know what spirit you're of because the Son of Man came to give life, not to take it, not to destroy life. He came to give life. So if we think that God is angry and he's going to judge New York and he's going to bring death into New York and destruction. I want to submit to you this morning that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. And we do not see that in the life of Jesus Christ at all. He said, I come to bring life, not death. He made it very clear. The enemy is coming to bring death. I come to bring life. Christians will say, God is against abortion. Why? Because he values human life. So let's prophesy and declare that he's gonna destroy a bunch of human life. Does that make any sense? So what can we do? We need to respond with love and compassion, especially for those who've been through that. We need to pray for our nation we need to prophesy life over our nation. I wanna live a life of compassion. I wanna live a life of love, loving those instead of judging, loving. It's not excusing sin, it's not enabling sin, it's choosing to love, to get to the sinner, like Jesus did. To get close to the tax collector, to get close to those choosing to love them, choosing to have compassion instead of judgment. Jesus said, "I desire compassion." We can have a, such a sacrificial life, and and man, I fast every week, and and I I just I avoid sin so well. And Jesus, is like, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. I desire compassion. Some people need compassion from us more than they need us to help them fix their problem. Men, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself. Men, we're fixers. We want to fix it. But sometimes people just need us to hear them more than they need us to help them fix their problem. They just need some compassion, some validation. Men, sometimes we just need to listen and validate our wives before we try to quickly fix their problem. It's one I'm learning. Sometimes, just in the act of compassion, it fixes the problem. I'm like, oh, the problem went away. And all I did was validate her emotions, her feelings. Sometimes receiving compassion is the answer to their problem. We can live a life of compassion just like Jesus did. It's actually, it's not as hard as we think. But we have to choose compassion over judgment. I want to end today by telling you a story. This was a a few years ago. My wife and I were... um, We're actually, we're coming back from Bethel. So we had a a week of, uh, oh, it was a marriage conference we went to. So we were just riding a high wave of glory. (laughs) So we were getting on the plane. And um, we always, when we get on planes, we always ask like, God, this person I'm sitting next to, would you have me minister to them? Because you have a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. They're stuck with you for a few hours. So we always ask, Holy Spirit, do you have something that, you know, I could speak to this person? So I think we were getting in and I had the window seat. I love me the window seat. I just, I like to be by the window. I'm kind of by myself. I like to look out the window. And my wife was in the middle seat and this lady um, came in and she was sitting on the aisle. And I didn't realize, she was actually asking me to switch seats with her. The window seat was mine she wanted to switch seats with me, and I I actually didn't understand that's what she was asking, so she asked me to switch seats, I didn't understand that's what she was asking, and so I just said, no, I'm I'm sitting here, I just, I can't remember, I thought, I thought she was just, like, asking me if I was sitting there, I was like, no, I'm sitting here, so anyway, so now she's mad, and I didn't even understand what she was asking, so now she's mad that I didn't give up the window seat and trade seats with her, and so Joy's picking up on this, she's like, oh, this lady's like, she's angry at, at us, you know, and so Joy's like, oh, okay, cool. Lord, I, I don't have, there's no gateway to minister here. I don't have to minister. Okay, good. I'm going to close my eyes and, and go to sleep. But then this lady reaches up to turn that little, the little air thing, I don't know what they're called. And as she reaches up, she goes, ow. And my wife sees that and she goes, oh, I'm going to have to minister to her now. She was being snarky. I forgot to add that. She was being really snarky to my wife. And Joy's like, now I have to minister to her. She's she's in pain. So Joy says, what happened to your, to your shoulder? Are you okay? And she said, I just had soldier, shoulder surgery. And she said, and it hurts. I can't raise my hand past this point without a tons of pain. And so she asked Joy, she's like, could you, do, you know, do that for me? So Joy does it for her. And then Joy says, you know, we could pray for you. And uh, we believe God will heal you. Um, would you like us to pray for you? And, and the lady was like, Oh, okay, sure. By the way, that's nine out of 10 times, that's the answer you're going to get when you ask someone if you could pray for them. Sure, okay. And so we waited. We didn't want to do it right there because I was like kind of boxed in and we were going to just like, okay, okay, let's pray for him. when we get off the airplane. So we get off the airplane and she's gone. We can't find her. So we're looking all over, we're like, oh, I guess, okay, maybe we weren't supposed to pray for her. So Joy's using the restroom, and here she comes out of the restroom as Joy's going in. And she's like, hey, she's like, hey, would you like us to to pray for you? And she's like, oh, yeah, sure. And so we just said a really simple prayer of faith. Um, It's not your fancy words that heals people. It's just stepping out in faith. And we just said a really simple prayer of faith. And this lady felt nothing, by the way. She didn't feel any heat. She didn't feel anything. And I know she she didn't feel anything because when we finished praying, she was like, oh, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. And she's like, yeah, because I just can't lift my arm above. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Then she felt something. She's like, oh, my gosh. She's like, all the pain is gone. Then the fear of the Lord hit her, and she goes, my mom has cancer. Pray for her. Would you pray for my mom? She has cancer. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the awe of God. She was in awe. She was like, Something amazing happened. I don't understand it, but would you pre- please pray for my mom? And so we begin to pray for her mom. We just commanded all the cancer to leave. And this lady I'll never forget. shes I see her leave, and she's just crying. And as she's walking away, she's doing this. <laughs> Simply because my wife said, I need to have compassion. Like, I could judge this lady. She's being a little snarky, but... I need to have compassion right now. She's in pain. Would you stand with me this morning? Amen. Just close your eyes this morning. Father, we just pray for our nation. God, we just pray that your kingdom of heaven is coming into New York, into the officials of New York. We just pray that your goodness is gonna cause repentance in the hearts of the people in New York. We just ask for your loving kindness to come to New York. We know your word says where sin abounds, grace abounds, much more. Some translations say it super abounds. So God, we just declare your super abounding grace over New York. Grace isn't to excuse sin, grace is to pull people out of sin. So we just release your grace on New York in Jesus' name. We release your grace on our nation in Jesus' name. God, we just pray that we would return, God. We would return, God, to our godly roots in this country that we would turn back to you, God, and say, we've tried it our way. We don't have the answers. God, what do you say? We just pray that we would have compassion on those who have went through this procedure, God, that we would love them, that we would show them the compassion of Jesus, the same compassion that Jesus showed Zacchaeus, the same compassion that Jesus showed the woman caught in the act of adultery, the same compassion that Jesus showed Matthew, that Jesus showed all the sinners that he dined with, God, help us to have compassion. We sang that song today. Be lifted up, be lifted higher. God, we just ask be lifted up in our hearts. Be lifted up, more compassion in our hearts for others, God. Help us to have compassion for ourselves. Help us to love ourselves. Help us to love others well, God. Help us to have the compassion that you have, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna have Angela come up and just close us out.
0: Yeah, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Man, there was a lot, man, a lot packed in that message. Man, a lot packed in. There's so much that I'm thankful for that God uh, would pick me. I was one of those skinny kids that was not good at sports, you know, and didn't get picked and stuff until I was. But you know, (laughs) I know what that's like and I know that the heart of every child, even in the womb, just says, pick me, please pick me. And so we just thank you, Father. We're just, I'm just gonna pray a blessing and, and we're gonna, um, yeah, I'm just gonna bless your week. But um, real quick first, God, we just thank you that you uh, form us in our mom's wounds. You knit us together in our mother's wound, wombs, God. We just thank you for that. We thank you that uh, like each child that is, that is conceived, God, they're not hidden from you. That you see them, God, that you're there with them in the womb, that you are knitting them together, God. So we just thank you for that. I thank you that each one of us is chosen by you, God. I thank you, each one of us, you've chosen us. Thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating the heart of the Father by choosing the weak, by choosing those that, who are the most reviled by society. Thank you, God. Just right now, even just in your own heart, say, thank you, Jesus, for choosing me. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose me. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose me. Yeah, and we just, Father, right now, we collectively release a blessing over New York, God, that your grace would superabound in that state, that the hearts of the legislators, God, would be turned to you, God, that they would encounter you, even just in their daily lives, Jesus, they would encounter you, and that love encounter with God would just place them in awe, and that they would say, oh, man, God is real, And we're gonna change what we're doing. We're gonna change this thing. So we just thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are such a good, good Savior, that you are our best friend. Yeah, we just bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you were just so powerful, moving so powerfully today among us. We feel honored. I feel so honored that you stepped in to our world, Jesus, that you're right here, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And so I just release the grace of God. I bless each one of you right now in Jesus' name. And I declare that the face of God does shine upon you. My child, his face shines upon you. So I bless your week. It's going to be full of the grace of God. It's going to be full of the grace of God. It's going to be full of the love of God. And in Jesus' name, yeah, I just bless you. And Father, we just thank you for your goodness that leads us to repentance. We thank you that it's your loving kindness, your tender heart, your gentleness that actually leads us to change our mind and bring us into freedom. Yeah, so in Jesus' name, I bless you guys. Have an awesome week. And go, uh, just with the love of the Lord, go and have an awesome week.